Welcome to Tales from the Waystone, a Kingkiller Chronicle reread podcast, where today we will be finishing up our special bonus pod series about Neil Gaiman's Fortunately the Milk. We're your hosts, Will and Phoenix. Let's get into it. All right, so this is our second bonus pod about Fortunately the Milk. Now, if you'll recall on our last one, we're dealing with a data loss that has unfortunately claimed the audio for episode nine. Promise we'll have a new recording of that episode out next week. We're super serious here, guys. Super serious. Super serious. If you have not listened to episode one of our little series of bonus pods, Go back and listen to it now. And also, if you haven't read Fortunately the Milk, pause the podcast right now. Go to your friendly neighborhood bookstore, purchase a copy of Fortunately the Milk, go home and read it, and then unpause, and then we'll talk again. So starting now. Okay, you've already read it, so you don't have to worry about spoilers. If, by chance, you did not take our advice, please know the way that our podcast works we naturally assume that you have actually read or you don't care about spoilers for the book that we are going to discuss today. And today, that is Neil Gaiman's Fortunately the Milk, where we pick up after the father who is narrating a story to his children about his harrowing adventures to bring them milk from the store. He has lost the milk. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> it's not good. No. And this, of course, leaves him rather distraught, for as we recall, as we left off last week, where there is milk, there is hope. Is the inverse true? Where there is not milk, well, that's an open story. But I don't have milk in the house because I can't digest it. Does that mean there's no hope in our house? We have cashew milk. Does that count? You can't really milk a cashew. Yeah, you can convert it into a milk-like substance, so I'm going to say it's close enough. As is the case from last week, we will not be doing our customary recap of the week because we don't believe in punishments and bonus pods. As such, we will also not be bringing you our interesting fact, and there will only be the seven words from the book rather than from our real lives. So, jumping in, when last we left off, Dad had lost the milk and had last seen it on top of the volcano. Oh, no! And just as they're about to lose all hope, he sees another balloon come down and a skinny man comes down a rope ladder and picks up the milk and flies away. So as it turns out, because of the time travelness, Professor Stegg and the dad can just pop right back in, rescue the milk, and then pop right back out and not get blown up. They also replace the... MacGuffin, which is an emerald eye, or rather a special shiny greeny stone, into the volcano god's eye socket and stop the volcano from erupting. Now, just like last time, we don't particularly want to explain the entire story because this book is enchanting and really needs to be read in a physical copy or on an ebook, something where you can see Scotty Young's gorgeous illustrations. For those of you who are not familiar with Scotty Young, 
I was first introduced to his artwork through the Wizard of Oz graphic novels that are from Marvel, where Eric Schanauer adapted L. Frank Baum's original text. I have a very special place in my heart for the Wizard of Oz. My dad read them to me. I remember going to the library and picking up the Patchwork Girl of Oz. I remember delighting in all of the fun little illustrations and feeling like this world was just something that spoke to me. So when I first saw a graphic novel adaptation of these books that were so precious to me, I just, I had to get them. Since then, Scotty Young has drawn a lot of really amazing comics. He has a very distinct style. It's not a typical comic book style. It's almost reminiscent of like a little bit of Rocco's Modern Life or a little bit of Ren and Stimpy. Maybe a little bit of Calvin and Hobbes. Maybe a little bit of Calvin and Hobbes, but there's a little more gross out that happens occasionally. It doesn't always happen and it's used for effect, but it's exaggerated. It's not true to life. It looks almost like a sketch. It's very uniquely his, and you can always tell. It goes from being incredibly cute and sweet to having a little bit more exaggerated proportions, especially around eyes and nose and mouth, exaggerating the size of the mouth, exaggerating the bulginess of eyes, but not always. And usually it's this really simple and sweet, childlike almost. It looks like an adult's interpretation of what a kid would draw. It's very inviting. It is very inviting and I absolutely adore it. We have a few of his pieces in poster form and we also have one of his Spider-Gwen little statues. They did a really good job of making his artwork into a 3D figure. He's also the creator of a wonderful graphic novel series. If you like things that are just a little off kilter and don't get easily offended, and it's called I Hate Fairyland. It's definitely not a children's story, not at all. There's some crude language, there's some disturbing themes, but it's all told through the guise of this little girl who dropped into fairyland and cannot figure out how to fulfill the quest to get out of fairyland. And she's like 40 something at this point, but she still looks like a little girl. Her hair is frazzled, her dress is dirty and torn, and she has the attitude of someone who is exceedingly jaded and it's delightful. It's a very fun, very dark and twisted version of a typical kid's portal fantasy. Again, not for kids. Yeah, and his artwork here in Fortunately the Milk also kind of calls to mind sort of the old Shel Silverstein illustrations that you'd saw like on Where the Sidewalk Ends. has a lot of that feel to it. It works perfectly for the sort of absurdist tale that Dad is spinning here. Which again has shades of Doctor Who and I'd say also a little bit of Bill and Ted. Yes. <laughs> yes, that, yes. <laughs> Moving on along the story, now that Steg's time machine is working properly, they can go and pinpoint times that they want to come in and go out of time. So they come back and tell a prophecy about themselves that they heard about before, but now they are before, and they're preventing themselves from getting instantly sacrificed. Again, that's a very Bill and Ted-ish moment to me. 
they remind themselves to remind their past selves to have something in their pockets. So then they just look in their pockets and there it is because their future selves remind them to do it all along. Time travel's weird is what we're saying. Yes. So we go forward and the next major players in the book are Wumpires. <gasps> the Wumpires? And these are kind of Nosferatu-ish Wumpires, not really the... Uh, Edward and Bella wumpires, much to the chagrin of the sister. I love how Neil Gaiman plays into things like wumpires and vot and tries to put a silly accent in writing. Yes, these all sound like not only do they have the sort of ridiculous Central European accent of a Bella Lugosi type, they also happen to have fangs that make it very difficult for them to speak. The illustration of the fangs is totally worth the price of the book. <laughs> In true style of time travel, we have a lot of daring escapes, and we have a lot of circling back to previous points in time. And Steg and the dad wind up right back where dad had started on the alien ship. Yes, after he made his daring escape. With the milk. With the milk, yes. It's here that he manages to have two versions of the milk. And he knows that he has a past version and a present version. And if they touch, the universe will end. Possibly. Though as we have been told earlier, there's a possibility of something incredibly ridiculous happening. I will not tell about it in this bonus pod because it is too good and you have to read it for yourself. He uses that to bluff his way out of the situation. Threatening to touch 15 minutes ago's milk to current milk. It's terrifying. And the aliens let him go. And also ceased their plan to remodel the planet. That's only mildly important. He needs to get back to his kids. <laughs> That's right. That's what's important here. And so he manages to make his way back home triumphant with the milk. And what do the kids say? They look around the room. They see things like a hot air balloon on a calendar and a copy of the girl's vampire book. They look at their dad and the sister says, you know, we don't believe any of this. Which is unfortunately for me, eight words. <laughs> ah, well, I struck out a couple times too, so <laughs> I got no room to judge on that. It's definitely that, no, you're making stuff up, Dad, reaction, which I think everyone who enjoys telling tall tales to kids kind of loves that reaction, too, because it means that the kids are maybe a little smarter than you gave them credit for. Or you already know that they are that smart, and you're just trying to pull their leg. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of that. So the thing that I absolutely love about this book is that it takes the typical portal fantasy that is so very commonly seen with little kids going through a rabbit hole or little kids walking through a closet. It's always, always about little kids. And in this case, their dad gets to go on this adventure. Or not. So what do you think he actually did? Probably did exactly what his kids thought he did. You think he just got into a long drawn out conversation with Mr. Ronson? Probably. <laughs> either that or there was something in the milk 
He didn't drink the milk first. That we know of. So, now it is time for us to discuss our Phronemos of the Week. And it is my turn. And I have chosen Professor Steg. She's a highly intelligent, visionary stegosaurus and inventor who's invented hot air balloons, buttons, time machines, and also named coconuts. And she makes for a wonderful traveling companion for the dad. And turns out the dinosaurs were far more advanced than we gave them credit for. She's just, generally speaking, a few steps ahead of things and manages to also provide some important perspective, such as where there is milk, there is hope. To call back to last week's episode. Yes. All right. So what are your seven words? So much like you last week, I found a few instances of seven words that I thought were clever. The first ones that I found are on a sign in the alien spaceship. For your convenience, please use another door. <laughs> Which I think is really funny, mostly because whenever you see a, this door is out of order or this elevator is out of order, or please use another door. You very rarely see the for your convenience. And I thought it was funny. Another seven words that I found that the little girl says, I am so glad there were ponies. I think that that's something that, while a little bit cliche for a little girl to want ponies in her story, I think it's great that the dad didn't make her feel bad for wanting ponies, that the brother didn't make her feel bad for wanting ponies. I think it's enchanting that the dad so seamlessly put in talking ponies. And it just speaks again to how much their dad really loves them and really likes being playful with them. At the end, he went back to reading his paper. I liked that. But the seven words that I am really choosing, I've got a lovely bunch of hard, hairy, wet, white crunchers. <laughs> I gotta say that again. I've got a lovely bunch of hard, hairy, wet, white crunchers. Hard, hairy, wet, white crunchers are coconut. And they're all one word according to Professor Steg. Because they are hyphenated. <laughs> so I'm going to use your trick. As well you should. And I think with that, we come to a close. Thank you for potting with me. Thank you for potting with me. And thank you for listening to Tales from the Waystone. So join us next week on Tales from the Waystone as we discuss chapters 20 and 21 of The Name of the Wind through the lens of suffering and grace. We promise that next week we will actually have the episode that we promised you a couple of weeks ago. We'd like to extend a huge thank you to Shawnee Jang for providing our theme music. And thanks to Neil Gaiman for writing a story that we find utterly enchanting. Audio production and editing, courtesy of me, Phoenix McCullough. Writing and project management, courtesy of me, Will McCullough. If you would like to help support us, please become a patron of our Patreon page, patreon.com slash waystonepod, where you can get access to our show notes, custom digital posters, exclusive Patreon-only bonus pods, and other exciting items. And as always, here's to one more day above the roses. To one more day above the roses.
Toss a coin to your witcher. Oh, valley of plenty. Oh, valley of plenty. Oh, toss a coin to your witcher, the friend of humanity. There will come a day when we do not have toss a coin stuck in our head. But it is not this day. Ha, 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 ha.